0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for this morning's Great Moment in Film with Fergal Casey. Good morning, Fergal.
1: Good morning, Patrick.
0: How are you today? Well, well. Sunday going okay so far?
1: All right so far.
0: Do you have a Sunday morning routine, by the way?
1: I would say Earl Grey tea is about the uh, be-all and end-all of a routine.
0: Now, our film this week is what? What?
1: Well, we're getting very close to the end now of the A to Z of great moments in film. We've reached W for Westworld.
0: Now, when did this film come out?
1: 1973.
0: Tell us who's in it, and who directs this?
1: The first billed person who has terrifyingly small amount of dialogue and screen time is Yul Brynner as Gunslinger. But the, the real stars are Richard Benjamin, who went on to direct Mermaids himself years later, and James Brolin,
0: Father of Josh.
1: Father of Josh Brolin, and nemesis of uh, President Bartlett in the West Wing as Governor Rob Ritchie.
0: Yes, indeed, indeed. So what makes this a great moment in film?
1: Well, we've been trying to do in the great moments in film, films that sort of escaped from the confines of two hours in the cinema and took on a life of their own and were influential, and I think this is very influential. If you look at uh, Jurassic Park, Twenty years later exactly it's hard not to think that there is a strong sense that Westworld becomes a dry run for Jurassic Park because of course they're both written by Michael Crichton and Spielberg directed Jurassic Park and Crichton directed Westworld and it's almost like I was watching it the other night, it's almost like a, a sort of a flip whereas in Jurassic Park does the build up and then most of the time it is spent in the fallout in Westworld it's almost like most of the I was sent building up and establishing this world, and then the fallout is actually very contained towards the end when everything goes wrong. So that you have... And really, it, it's incredible how swiftly it turns for the heroes. Uh, they've had two encounters with Yul Brenners, gunslinger. You know, draw, draw. And then they've got into a big stage bar fight with the uh, robots, and they've got plastered, and they wake up in the morning with the mother of all hangovers, and they are slumping down the main street of the western town, back to their hotel, and who pops up except Yul Brinner? and when they see him, they both groan, oh no, not you, it's too early, go, go away, come back later, oh fine, I'll deal with him this time, and then it turns out that Yul Brinner's gun now works, it shouldn't work, but it now works, and suddenly they're in a different film than the one that they thought they were in. And that moment is so much later than in Jurassic Park, where things go wrong so much earlier on.
0: Is this the first science fiction Western crossover?
1: I mean, there was that TV show, The Wild Wild West, which has some sort of kind of steampunk inventions back in the Wild West, but I think this is a proper first sci-fi Western, probably, yes. And what's interesting is that Crichton said about how he directed it that they had to do everything very quickly and simply but that he also he didn't want to really do anything too elaborate because he said what happens in the western element of it is just basically a western pastiche because it is a western pastiche these people are paying to do what they see in the films and so he had Gene Polito who had worked on a different number of uh, western TV shows just you know like uh, just make it look like the average western okay no problem I'm, I'm used to making stuff look like the average Western. It's what I do on a weekly basis. But Gene Polito himself had also worked a couple of years earlier on Colossus, the Forbin Project, which is a kind of revered, obscure sci-fi film about a supercomputer. So it's interesting that in his cinematographer, Crichton found someone who combined that kind of interest in sci-fi and interest in Westerns at the same time.
0: And is it, is it more Western or is it more science fiction?
1: It's it's uh, kind of almost reminds me of that film that Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard made around 2012. Uh, it came out, The Cabin in the Woods, where you have both a horror film and then a comedy of people kind of looking at the horror film. So in this case, it's like it's kind of a western. In that you know you have these two guys who come into town. You know they shoot a person, they get put in jail, they they break out. There's gunfights. They visit the saloon. It's all stuff for Western, but there's no stakes to it, really. And then behind it all, you have uh, it Alan Oppenheimer, it the actor playing the guy in the control room, who's overseeing everything, going, you know, take that unit off, bring that in here for a thing. Okay, start the sword fight in the medieval world now. You know, so it's that sense of everything is being puppeteered until the strings stop working. And I'm... then you can't even find, they can't even find a way to open the doors of their own control room when things really go badly for them.
0: I'm thinking of Eul Brenner's career in the 1960s, and he predominantly became an action star. So this film would have come about, obviously, as you said, in the early 70s. So it's very much an action film. It is part of his action repertoire.
1: And he didn't, you know, apparently, for some reason, Eul Brenner was desperately stuck for cash and decent roles at this particular moment in the early 70s. And he didn't really want to do this, but then he just said, look, I need the money, fine, I'll do it. You know, it's a short thing anyway. And, you know, what's the first thing Crichton says? Oh, yeah, and I want you to dress up in the same costume as your Magnificent Seven character. It's like, oh, really? Is this what I've been reduced to? Self-parody? God, no lines and just walking around in my old costume. Oh, yo, yo, what have you done to yourself? And yet from what Yul Brynner would probably say at the time was the most humiliating professional experience I've ever had, it spawned arguably two movie monsters afterwards. Because apparently John Carpenter modeled Michael Myers, the unkillable uh, villain in Halloween, on how Yul Brynner, his gunslinger, never really uh, moves too fast. There's a moment where Yul Brynner's gunslinger runs in pursuit, but then he slows down. Like, he's just happy to just walk after you. Much like Michael Myers just walks, but he still gets there because he's unstoppable, unkillable. And James Cameron's Terminator, even down to, you know, even after you set them on fire, they still keep coming. They just look, you know, more mechanical and less human. That's clearly kind of inspired by Brenner's unstoppable killing machine here.
0: You mentioned Cameron, Carpenter, Spielberg. All people who... People who have delved into science fiction, and this film does deal with certainly the idea of digital imaging processing to pixelate photography to create simulate the Android point of view. So this is a groundbreaking film.
1: I mean, it's it's groundbreaking, like I said. A, you know, would you call it CGI, where you, you take the film and you, you you know you run it through a digital imaging processing, you pixelate it very simply, huge amount of computer work to get a very simple rendering of the point of view of the, the robot, Yo Brinner, But then also, uh, there's a moment where the control room chief is explaining how they have these inexplicable malfunctions that are happening and they started in, was it medieval world, and they spread to Roman world, and now they're in world. It's almost like it's an infectious disease. And you're just kind of going, is he trying to say it's like a computer virus? And at the same time, like, obviously, in Jurassic Park, you have a character who, as he says himself, you know, not a mathematician, chaotician, chaotician. And here, 20 years earlier, chaos theories hasn't really completely formulated yet. And yet you have scientists scratching their heads going, I don't understand. There's these inexplicable spikes. There's this random behavior. I mean, what's what's going on here? And, you know, you almost feel like someone, you know, a chaotician about two feet away is about to come in and start whispering. Complex systems can actually be very simple, but simple systems can actually be very complex. And you can't really predict what's going to happen next, although it will form a pattern in the end.
0: Reviewers of the time were very, very positive about it, bar the Washington Post. But everybody seems to have enjoyed it.
1: I think it was unusual. And people bought into that.
0: Yes, and I see that people refer to it as clever,
1: I mean, it, it is rather clever, but it's, it's also kind of a cautionary tale, as always. You know, there's this new technology. You may not quite understand what you're doing, and then you've got ahead of yourself, which is more or less the same as Jurassic Park. You know, we're totally in control. Totally. We're totally okay. We're not in control at all. What were we thinking?
0: And I see, by the way, that it comes in at 88 minutes.
1: It is a very short movie. Marvelous. And a large amount of that is just an extended chase towards the end. I mean, one of the things that uh, Crichton, who was you know, writing novels all the time, he just didn't write this as a novel. And when asked, why, why a screenplay, not a novel? He said, it's just mostly visual. He even called a dialogue early on. A dialogue just to, you know, just to know the dialogue is just another sound on the track, on the 8-track you know, of sound effects and music. It's not really important. It's the visuals of what's going to really be important at the end.
0: Can you tell me why this is a great moment in film?
1: Oh, this is a great moment in film because it's film that really spawns a couple of movie monsters after it and a whole interest in things going wrong when people think that they're in control.
0: Splendid. Now, Fergal, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play some film music and when we come back, I'm going to test you on your knowledge of Ewell Brenner and play the Yule Brenner quiz. Uh Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to test Fergal Casey on his knowledge of Mr. Yule Brenner. And I just thought, you know, randomly, why don't I spring a little Yule Brenner quiz on Mr. Casey? And uh, Fergal, you've had now some time to get ready for this. Are you feeling confident?
1: Not at all.
0: Marvellous. It's exactly what I wanted to hear. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to play, for most likely the only time ever, the Yule Brenner Quiz. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the Yule Brenner Quiz. And who will I be testing? Well, the one, the only, Mr. Fergal Casey. What does he win? Oh, just your self respect. Question number one. Yul Brenner died the same day, October 10th, 1985. The same day as which other Hollywood superstar? Who do you think, Fergal? Oh,
1: 1985. Uh, is. Is it Orson Welles?
0: Is that your final answer? Y- yes. The answer is indeed Mr Orson Welles. <clears throat> well done. Question number two. Yul Brenner, as well as being an accomplished actor, was also an accomplished what? Musician? Oh, Fergal, I'm afraid the answer was photographer.
1: Photographer? Mm. I was misled by the fact he was in a musical. Silly me. Silly you, <laughs>
0: yes. Now, question number three. Your Brenner was an acting apprentice of who? Lee Strasberg? Is that your final answer? Yes. Oh, Fergal. Michael Chekhov
1: really
0: yes yes really question number four whilst preparing breakfast every day what did Yule Brenner always wear Uh,
1: come on come on Uh,
0: quickly quickly
1: a Russian dressing gown
0: Goodness me a silk mono How could you not know that? You call yourself a I film got reviewer.
1: Flustered
0: <coughs> Say that again?
1: I got flustered.
0: Indeed you did, indeed you did, and very finally on this not very successful Yurbenner quiz. His daughter Victoria has a very famous godmother. Who is she? And I shall give you a clue. This woman made a film with Peter O'Toole in the mid-60s in Paris.
1: Audrey Hepburn.
0: Well done. Well done. Yes, you got two out of five. So all in all... Of course, I did spring the quiz on you, which was a bit unfair.
1: Still, the Russian dressing gown will haunt me for days now, if not weeks. In fact, maybe the rest of my
0: life. And so it should. (laughs) Well, all that aside, Fergal, you are to have yourself a lovely Sunday, and thank you very much for contributing this morning.
1: Good morning, Patrick.